Dr. Alice Williamson is even going to take you back to 2003. Alice, what did that year look like for you? Oh, well, that was my first year at university, so I'm showing my age, so I'm really enjoying uh, the music selection this morning, especially enjoying it. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, And it was a real uh, year full of treats for science and and technology. I was looking back through through some, you know, of the highlights um, over the last few days, and um, one of the things that I I found out was that it was actually the year that the iTunes uh, store opened oh my gosh the first year that cameras had um mobile phones had cameras so you kind of forget that you know these things haven't been around forever um but there was some fantastic science this year and um one of the the kind of biggest uh, breakthroughs of this year was some science that um sort of uncovered or highlighted the dark mysteries of our universe the dark matter yeah so there was um scientists have been doing you know calculations astronomers have been doing calculations for for a long while trying to understand um, how old the universe is and trying to understand um, its composition so how it's made up and how dense it is Um, and basically in in 2003 um, some evidence that was collected in a couple of studies using um, a satellite called the Wilkinson microwave Anistropy probe, or WMAP for short, because it's a bit of a mouthful, um, was actually looking at, at basically an echo from the Big Bang, some background um, cosmic microwave radiation. And it was able to determine the age and the composition of the universe. So to say that the universe is 13.7 billion years old, so quite old, and also really um, intriguingly to, to really understand how it's made up. So when we think about you know the composition of, of of matter we often think about the way that things are made up on earth so uh, you and i everything in this room is made up of um, a type of matter called baryonic matter it's made up of the same stuff that stars are made of it's made fundamentally of material composed of atoms that contain protons neutrons and electrons so you know it kind of makes sense that we think that well most of the universe the matter of the universe must be a bit like this but no that's not the case at all so um about only about four percent of the universe is made up of this kind of ordinary matter or baryonic matter so there's some big holes and um about 23 percent of the universe is made up of dark matter that we we can't see and 73 percent of the universe is made up of dark energy wow um which you know are kind of the kind of things that that really blow your mind even when you think about them there some of the stuff that uh, some of some of these discoveries have been described by the scientists who who looked at them as kind of delving in Einstein's uh, uh, bin basically looking back through the things that he tossed out and looking back to see anything that you know that that would make sense from looking at these measurements from the universe it's crazy and how did this all kind of come to a head back in 2003 well this was because of the data collected um, by this WMAP, this satellite, um, that was able to to look back at this this echo from the Big Bang. I think up to about four hundred thousand years after the Big Bang, which you know that sounds like a long amount of time, but when you compare that to the age of the universe, thirteen point seven billion years, it's it's a very you know it's very soon, astronomically speaking, after the Big Bang. Um, and this you know this work continues uh, to this day because the more that we find out about the universe. Um, the kind of crazier and trickier it gets because some of the things are, you know, really 
um, really quite mind-boggling. Yeah, and one mind-boggling event that happened back in 2003, which was also very, very devastating, was the Columbia Space Shuttle disaster. Now, this is something that you reminded us of. Yeah, this was a you know terrible tragedy that happened on, on the 1st of February 2003. There was a crew of seven people, five men and and two women, who'd been on a 16-day mission, and they'd done over 80 experiments during their time. Um, And unfortunately, they never made it back to Earth. Um, The the space shuttle um, uh, just... it exploded on re-entry and this was because of something that had happened during the launch so a small piece of insulation had actually broken off the shuttle um, just about the size of a backpack um, and the the removal of that insulation was was enough to you know tragically um, result in the death of these these seven wonderful scientists um, because they weren't protected from the heat on re-entry um, so you know it's 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 good to, re- to remember um, you know some of the people who who've done great and brave and bold things for science and for our understanding and you know sadly uh, didn't didn't make it back over a decade later you know and as someone who has you know been at university and worked at craft and you are you know studying chemistry or you were in the chemistry field can you tell us a little bit about how you know a tragedy like that that happened in 2003 how do you think that has affected space exploration today like I know I know you are in chemistry yeah. but yeah so, uh, um, in terms of this one the direct effect for NASA was that they completely stopped um, the shuttle program for a couple of years to do all sorts of exploration about you know to, to just try and really understand how this accident happened if there was any way to prevent, prevent this from happening um, but they did go back up and the space shuttle program continued until it finished I think in I think in in, in 2010 um, I could be a little bit wrong on that one, but I think it was 2010. Um, but yeah, these these things really they do they do shake um, the scientific community, particularly those people in the you know the area concerned. But it's you know it's it's a reminder of of those very very big sacrifices that that, that these scientists made. 2003 was innovations and huge research into dark matter and the Columbia Space Shuttle disaster. Alice Williamson in the studio this morning taking you back to the year that we began in science. Up next, we're going to be talking about the first embryonic stem cells turned into eggs that happened in the year 2003. Another huge scientific breakthrough from that year, Alice. What happened? Yeah, this was the first time that um, embryonic stem cells had been turned into egg cells. They were from mice, so um, you know, as as with most scientific um, discoveries and breakthroughs uh, for for biology or for medicine, they usually start in animal models, and we have to you know be careful about extrapolating them too far into human models. But this was this was a really big deal. Um, some researchers from the University of Pennsylvania had shown for the first time that you could really prove that embryonic stem cells were what is called totipotent and that means that they can be changed into any cell from the body including those cells that are needed for reproduction and we talk about um, embryonic stem cells or stem cells now um, uh, routinely when we're talking about research on this program Um, in 2006 there was a big breakthrough uh, where some researchers showed that you no longer needed to take stem cells from an embryo Um, you could actually take um, cells from an adult and by um, sort of switching on four genes in that cell it could behave like a stem cell so there was no longer you know this requirement to to always take them from an embryo which has some ethical um, uh, you know 
things to think about ethically. Um, but back to 2003 now, so many, many uh, different groups have been racing to discover or to you know, prove that you could change these stem cells into egg cells. And um, as with, you know, often, as is often the case with science, apparently the, the secret was to keep it simple. So people have been trying, you know, some quite exotic mixtures of chemical cofactors when they were trying to grow um, these egg cells in a dish. And they realized that actually the trick was to keep the conditions quite uh, simple and to grow these um, cells at a very high density. And then much like, you know, if you think about when you grow plants, if they start to overpop populate the plant parts you, you pull a few of them out and give them their own little space and room to breathe that's what the researchers did with these kind of clumps of cells that aggregated and apparently they looked a little bit like stuff you you might throw away but some you know canny researchers took these clumps put them in separate dishes and they realized that actually the cells were growing um almost to be a little bit like the structures uh, that we find in ovary follicles. So there, there were kind of little structures that were growing around a structure that would become the egg a little bit later. Um, and that their structure was pretty similar to the, you know, the way that, that an egg cell would develop um, inside a living organism. What was the reaction to like to this at the time? Uh, people were really excited, especially when you know there were some you know rather intriguing things to look at. These are the, the these are the little bits that that really fascinated me. So, when they followed the growth of these um, these cells, what they found is that the the way that they expressed genes um, showed that they actually released hormones in a similar way um, to the menstrual cycle work. So they were operating, you know, in this in this in the way that we would expect these cells to 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 basically act and also that if you added hormones to these dishes if you added the hormones that are released during ovulation um, and cause uh, a woman to release an egg actually um, within these kind of dishes um, the eggs were kind of shot out of their um, environment almost you know imitating this this ovulation so it's quite strange to see these you know these living cells acting in the same way that we would expect but in in a you know little glass dish yeah in that cyclic nature that we do too yeah and how do you think overall this this development in science way back when has it impacted to well, now it's well, huge yeah well hugely but it also shows you i mean you know we're in 2017 now we know 14 years on since the start of fbi but um it wasn't till 2016 that researchers managed to do the same in terms of producing sperm cells from um, stem cells so you know it took a little while for this leap to be made and then they were able to show that you could fertilize um naturally um developed mice eggs with sperm cells um and this would lead to 90 percent healthy uh, births which is you know a, a great kind of advance um but in 2016 for the first time um researchers actually managed to fertilize um, mice uh, egg cells that have been grown from stem cells so it took about you know 13 years to take it to the, the fertilization stage successfully and in this case only 3.5 percent of the uh, the embryos survived till full term and became you know healthy offspring so it shows that um, the progress in science it, it, it is 
it seems slow sometimes but actually that's quite a big leap in in during that time period and also it's really nice to show or to see how a discovery that happened back in 2003 this discovery that happened in america has led to research that's gone taken place in china in japan in korea in australia and you see all of these researchers that come together and really build upon the work of, of the people that went before them although of course there'll still be some scientists who were involved in this initial study who'll still be working in the labs but it just shows you a bit how the you know how the scientific process works and and how exciting uh, we can see that science can develop in, in a relatively short period of time. Absolutely if you want to check out these stories from yesteryear that Alice has brought this morning we've got links for you at fbiradio.com slash programs if you click on up for it or on FBI Radio's Twitter. Alice thank Thank you so much for providing these stories this morning. We'll catch you next week. See you next week. See ya. This was produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. FBIRadio.com.